If you guys want to grab your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. And if you also want to put your finger in Romans chapter 4, we're going to be primarily in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. I will say today, you guys look fantastic for coming off Thanksgiving. You look radiant and well-rested. You guys look very, very fit as a congregation. You've been doing your push-ups. Luke Myers back from college. Your uh, 15 pounds that you've um, added, your freshman 15 looks great on you. You can smile in church. It's a happy day today. Your smiles look wonderful Man, there's something special and something great about kind words. Words of affirmation and words of encouragement are great for the soul. We welcome them. We look forward when people compliment us, when they speak kind things to us. And sometimes hard words work the opposite way. When I was growing up, I hated going to the dentist. The dentist wasn't for me. Uh, there's a lot of things I didn't like about the dentist. But recently, I, I, like, I love going to the dentist. I just love it. There's a couple reasons why. One is it's just such a great, a great place to get some well-needed rest. Um, I have four kids now, and um, it's hard to, to get rest and sleep and naps like I did before kids. And Dr. Watson, who's my dentist, best in the business, if you're up there today, and he normally sits in the balcony, he's the best in the business. Um, I go into his place, and he treats me with courtesy. He puts me down in a chair, pumps me with some Novocaine, and then just lets me relax for like 15, 20 minutes. And I've been five times in the past six months to, to the dentist, and I absolutely love it. I got, I'm getting teeth worked on that have no business being ripped out or messed with, but it's just so relaxing. He puts me down in this chair, and he just he speaks kind words to me. He affirms me, tells me how good I am, tells me how great I'm doing, tells me I'm a strong boy. Um, I just, I, I love it. It's so different than the doctor. I know we got some doctors in here. They put you in a cold, dark room where they're not playing uh, classic rock music like Dr. Watson does. They put you, they, they, they pull out this wax paper like you're a, sh a sheet of cookies and then they leave you there for like 45 minutes and I'm not even allowed to like play on my phone so I'm just looking around at these bodies, posters, whatever. Not the dentist, not Dr. Watson. He is so great, the best in the business. Today as we dive into Galatians chapter 3, we're going to be addressed in a way that might be different than the way that Dr. Watson addresses me. Not necessarily with words of encouragement, but with words of exhortation. If I were to start my message today by looking at you guys and saying, you gluttonous pigs, you come into the Lord's house looking all slobby like this, how dare you? If I were to look at the camera, those at home, you filthy feasters, you stuff in your face full of stuffing and then you're coming looking like this. That, that wouldn't be welcomed as much as a nice smile and a word of affirmation. Kind words are welcoming and sometimes harsh words are weary for the soul. Kind words bring cheer and hard words cut deep. But the church often needs hard words. We often need encouragement. We also need exhortation. As we encounter this passage today, the Apostle Paul in Romans in uh, Galatians chapter 3, he addresses the Galatians in a harsh tone. Up to this point, we have seen 
him speak words of affirmation, pastorally, walking them through the heresy that, that has been encroached upon their lives and their churches. But something changes in Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bible, would you stand with me to honor the reading of God's word beginning in verse 1. Galatians 3 verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to the nations in order that the nations would be blessed so that those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Jesus Christ, I pray this morning that you would come that you would be in this place, that you would speak through your word this morning, that the words of exhortation would fall on fertile soil, that we would heed this harsh instruction. But God, that we would be encouraged by the commands that you provide for your people. God, that we would have faith that's unshaking. God, that we would have faith like Abraham. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. As Paul continues his letter in chapter 3, he doesn't applaud the church for being open-minded to new viewpoints. He doesn't commend them for being culturally progressive. He doesn't stand back and allow the heresy to attack the church without being addressed, doesn't sweep it under the rug. No, he becomes blunt and direct. He addresses the issue head on with an impassioned appeal to their minds to forsake anti-gospel voices. Quick recap. Up to this point, Galatians 1 and 2, we see the Judaizers has, have infiltrated the church and they were undermining the very core of Christianity. Namely, justification by faith alone. They believed that in order to be a Christian, you had to obey the Mosaic law and you had to adhere to Jewish practices, namely circumcision. And so Paul steps in and he's burdened. He begins to write this letter. He begins in verse 6. And he says, I'm astonished. Chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you so quickly deserted him who called you by grace and are turning to a different gospel. He is very lovingly and pastorally brokenhearted as he begins this letter, soft and calm, says, I'm, ast I'm astonished. This just is mind-blowing. Verse 11, he continues and he says, Brethren, this gospel is not man's gospel. A little bit harder. He says, this is about Jesus. 
This is not something that man fabricated. This isn't something that you can just do in order to, to get. And then we get to chapter 3, and he just pulls out all stops. He's a little hot. He's a little frustrated. But his exhortation at its finest. He begins by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians. He drops a bomb of exhortation. Paul's, Paul calls them anoitos. Anoitos, sounds like it. Anoitos is this word for foolish. He's basically saying, my beloved idiots. My beloved idiots. He's loving in this. We see this and the first point of the message today is pretty simple. Don't be dumb. Don't be dumb. They're making a very foolish, foolish thing. They're believing the heresy that's coming in. And for some reason, they don't even know that it's happening. Paul isn't calling into question the Galatians' IQ, but he's calling into question their spiritual discernment. As I look around churches today, there's a lot of churches that are lacking in spiritual discernment. I look at my own life. I'm foolish. There's times where I'm foolish and I lack spiritual discernment. Things that I believe, things that I do. I'm like a foolish Galatian. He begins with this charged emotional interjection. Oh, oh, foolish Galatians. It's this idea of being frustrated but with care. It's like a, a mother who has a child that continues to do things he shouldn't do, much like me when I was a kid, and the, the mom needing to use the first and the last name, Grant, Robert. It's frustrating, but it's righteous. Oh! I, I, I can't remember my kids' first names, much less their last names. I'm always getting them confused. So for me, if I need to get a point across, you know what I do? I yell at them. Nolan! Back there. You listening, buddy? We're trying to get this across, this righteous indignation that there is something being done that shouldn't be done and we have to correct that or we're headed to disaster. There's righteous indignation in his voice. There's careful and caring frustration, but there's also grief-stricken concern. Paul is doing this because he loves these people. He spent so much time caring for them and teaching them and helping them build this church, these churches to proclaim the gospel to the world. And they're letting someone come in and bewitch them. This word in the English language, foolish, means devoid of good sense, judgment, lacking discretion. I like this one, marked by intellectual acuity. Someone says, you're foolish. I go, that person's lacking intellectual acuity. Silly, resulting in folly, weak-minded, and simple. How, how did this great church of Galatia get to the point where they're making this foolish decision and following the ways of the world and following these Judaizers rather than obeying the true gospel? How do we as Americans make the same mistake? How do we fall into Spiritual folly. Because Satan is in the business of bewitching. 
Satan's in the business of bewitching. In Matthew chapter 13, we see a great parable of Jesus, the parable of the sowers. And in this parable, Jesus gives us the strategy that Satan uses for bewitching, for tempting. There's a simple strategy. He does one of two things. He tries to remove the seed so that people cannot hear the gospel. He causes chaos, causes confusion. The, the lost and dying world is not able to experience Jesus because there's confusion. He's stealing the seed of the gospel that we're proclaiming. Snatching seed. That's one of Satan's tap, tactics of bewitching. And number two, this is for us, church. Lean in. This is for us. He sows tares among the wheat. Sows tares. There's good wheat. They're believers. People wanting to follow Jesus. People wanting to absorb and live out the gospel and proclaim the gospel. But he sows, sows tares, weeds among the wheat. So it's chaotic. And so now believers are believing in lies. Believers are deviating from the gospel because they can't differentiate the truth from that which is false. The gospel is clear. We must not fall prey to the same strategy. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, whose Kool-Aid are you drinking? Whose Kool-Aid are you drinking? When I was nine years old, I began my first entrepreneurial endeavor. I decided after doing some market research and realizing there are houses going up left and right in my new neighborhood, it's a brand new subdivision, that there's an opportunity for me to go out and make money from these construction workers and all these builders who are in all these homes and they're parched, they're thirsty and they need a beverage that I can provide. So I track down some supplies, I get my sugar, I get my cups, I get my Kool-Aid packets from the cabinet, my margins were fantastic, it was free. Put together this business plan, put together a strategy and I go and I pitch to a potential partner. I tell this guy, said, I want you to be a partner of mine. I get 70% of the profits, you get 30. You do 70% of the work, I'll do 30%. And he, and he said, deal. Struck a deal with my brother, he was seven years old. His name was Garrett. Now I make fantastic, fantastic Kool-Aid. So I was in charge of making the Kool-Aid and then I transported it into a red wagon. Put this in the wagon and then I said, Garrett, that's my brother's name. I said, I need you to hike this up that big hill. We, did, we lived in West Virginia. Make no apology for that. I said, I need you to hike this up that hill. And as you go, I'll be behind you encouraging you. But I need you to yell, Kool-Aid for sale, Kool-Aid for sale, Kool-Aid right here. So my brother did just that at the loudest voice possible. Kool-Aid for sale, Kool-Aid right here. He had a little bit of a speech impediment, which made for great marketing. <laughs> People were coming out. They were just throwing down singles, boom, boom. Made a lot of money. My brother learned a valuable lesson there. I learned a valuable lesson. I forced my brother to pull the wagon, to do the majority of the work, to proclaim the message, to get a little piece of the profit. I bamboozled him. I bewitched him. The term, drinking the Kool-Aid, was coined after the fateful event known as the Jonestown Massacre. November 18, 1978, under the charismatic deception of Jim Jones, 
909 members of the People's Temple willingly ingested poison-laced punch while others were forced to do so at gunpoint. The people of Jonestown had been bewitched. They had been deceived. They had been preyed upon and they had, their minds had been taken captive. The Apostle Paul is speaking to these people and he's saying, don't let your minds and your heart be taken captive. Stop drinking the Kool-Aid. Don't be bewitched. Circle that word in your Bible. It's a, it's a powerful word. It's a unique word. It's the only time that Paul or anyone uses that particular word in Scripture. Single use. In other Greek uh, literature, we see it used, and it often means to fascinate or charm in a misleading manner, to seek to do harm to someone by lies, deception, and false promises is often related to magic, spells, sorcery, and demonic power. Satan is at the helm of bewitching. Although this question, who has bewitched you, was personal to the Galatians, it's extremely practical for us today. This is a practical question. Who is bewitching you? Who's trying to bewitch us? You turn on the TV. Turn on most TV preachers. Beware of bewitchers. You go to a Christian bookstore, if it existed. They don't exist anymore, so don't try. You go on Amazon, and you, and you type in Christian books, you'll see a litany of books that pop up, many of which are not filled with the gospel, even though they claim Christianity. The number one Christian self-help book right now is a book called Untamed, and I promise you, it's not Christian. It's bewitching. You can turn off of this mediocre preaching and Flip over to any other preacher in any other church doing any other live stream right now. It'll take you 15 seconds if you're watching online. Don't do it, but you could. It would take my grandma 45 minutes to switch to another live stream. But there are so many churches that are preaching what kind of is the Bible, but it's inoculated with enough truth to make you think that it's gospel, but it's not always. That's bewitching. Be careful. What we believe, be careful to know the gospel. Modern day Judaizers exist all over the place. People, organizations, entities trying to promote certain ideology, putting it as the gospel, but it's not the gospel. Legalism, which leads to moralistic Christianity, isn't the gospel. It might be good, but it's not the gospel. Secularism, leading to watered-down Christianity is, is not the gospel. Cultural Marxism leading to social justice theology is not the gospel. Be careful. Church, do your, do your research. Don't just buy in to words and ideas because it may be coming from someone who claims to be a Christian or claims to do good work. The social justice movement is a is a massive movement today. But beware, there are bewitchers in play. If my church's message aligns and is the same thing that BOA and Wells Fargo and Nike is trying to proclaim, church, there's a problem. We have different strategies. We have different commands. 
Matthew chapter 28 doesn't align with me trying to proclaim a certain platform. Although my life is committed to certain things, I want to defend the unborn. I want to promote reconciliation in the church, racial reconciliation in society. I believe the church needs to do that, but don't confuse terms. Biblical justice is a a good thing. It's a biblical thing. We see it all throughout Scripture. We see it commanded in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. But my church and my Bible doesn't necessarily promote every act of social justice. I love Ben and Jerry's ice cream. I eat a pint of it every night, almost every night. But my command to follow Jesus and my obedience to his commands and the Great Commission doesn't align with great Ben and Jerry's mission statement and purpose statement. I don't want my church to be Ben and Jerry's or Nike. Be careful who's trying to bewitch you. And for Charlotte, this is something that we should not be so arrogant to believe that this exhortation in verse 1 is not for us. Point number one, don't be dumb. We're going to try to keep in some type of alliteration. So really? Question mark? Like that's going to be your first point. Really? Point number two, refocus on the gospel. Refocus on the cross. Verse number one, the second portion, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Paul had spent years pouring in to these people. He spent three of his missionary trips stopping at different places throughout Galatia. He discipled them. He built churches. There had been incredible victories, incredible things to celebrate. Life transfer from formation Baptism, churches being planted. Oh, so it was so amazing. It's great. He helped them understand the cross. As he taught them, as he explained theology, as he took them back to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they would have had a very clear picture. This is Jesus. This is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus was all about. Even though very few of them physically would have seen Jesus' death, his burial and his resurrection, it would have been so etched on their minds and on their hearts because of the teaching of Paul that they should never have deviated from their knowledge and their submission to the cross, but they did. Paul reiterates and he says, it was before your eyes, your mind, that Jesus was publicly portrayed. You may not know this, but if you go back to 50 A.D., Some of you guys might have been around by then, but go back 50 AD, like 2,000 years ago. There wasn't direct Google ads. Every time you turned on Instagram or Facebook or whatever social media you use, there wasn't ads that were inundating your mind, trying to communicate some person that you should vote for or some product that you should buy. There, There wasn't TV ads. There wasn't even newspapers. So if you wanted to advertise, if you wanted to publicly portray something, You would do that through a placard, a sign, or a billboard. There'd be placards that would say something. And as I walked by that placard every day in 50 AD in Galatia, I would have seen that. And it would have become a part of who I am. I would have remembered it. And 
Paul is saying, I publicly portrayed, I gave you that placard, I gave you that picture, that photographo. It has a root word of photograph. Like you should have this so etched on your brain, but somehow you've forgotten. And if we forget the cross, then that's when we start doing other things that are anti-gospel. That's when we start letting other things in. Paul is saying, before you realize your folly and before I work through a progression of questions that will help get you back on track, remember the cross. Refocus on the cross. Point number three is recalibrate to truth. Recalibrate to truth. The calibration process is used in so many devices, your, your watch, your phones, your computers, a scale at your house. You guys probably have been on the scale a lot recently if you're like me. Your scale needs to be calibrated. It needs to be measured based on what is actually true and changed to meet that standard. There is truth that exists and the gospel is truth. The Bible is full of truth. And Paul says, I'm going to ask you some questions, a diagnosis. I'm going to ask you some things that will help deconstruct the infiltrated heresy and help recalibrate you to the true gospel. He runs through these five questions. Some of them are rhetorical. We're going to look at them very quickly and answer each question. Question number one, Paul asks, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I received the Spirit by works of the law, that's me doing stuff, or by hearing with faith. Now they would have known that answer based on Paul's teaching to them, and they would have been able to go back and read before in the letter. But I'm going to flip over, if you will, to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4 is said to be the greatest commentary on Galatians chapter 3. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. The Apostle Paul is speaking to, to the Romans and he says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as due. They're not counted as a gift, but as due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, faith, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted to him as righteousness. The weather is weird in North Carolina. Uh, if you're, if you wake up one morning, it might be 40 degrees, and then by afternoon, it might be like 105 degrees. It's just weird. Let's say I wake up tomorrow morning, and my heating system has broken on my house. Not a good thing. It's freezing. I have children. They're cold. I need to fix that. So I'm going to call Horn Heating and Cooling. Chris Horn, the best in the business. I'm going to give him a call. Say, Chris, you got you to gotta help me out, man. My heating system broke. And he said, I got you, Grant. I'm going to send over my best technician. So he dispatches his best technician. They come to my house. They, they fix it. It's, it's great. He's the best in the business. It's great. Then he gives me the bill, and I look at the bill, and I go, that's not too bad. That's, that's, that's a good price. He's, he's the best in the business. Well, then I give Chris a call. I say, Chris, man, I, I'm so thankful so thankful that your guy came over speedy, hardworking, diligent, cost-effective. 
You did everything right. I appreciate this bill. But you know what? I want to give you a gift. I want to make a donation. I want to make a donation of the exact amount of my bill. It's a gift to you. A tax write-off. He would go, no, no. I sent a guy out there who worked. And the work deserves a wage. What you're giving me is not a gift. You don't get gifts in exchange for work. But we do that often in Christianity, often in our pursuit to find righteousness. We say, I got to work. I got to do this. And God, I'm going to give this work to you, and then you can give me salvation. You can give me this. Jesus says, no. That's not how it works. I'm going to give you a free gift. And there's no amount of work that you can do to earn and inherit this particular gift. It's free. It's available. It's not based on who you are or what family you're a part of or how much you can do or how much you can give. It's for everybody. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, is given to believers by hearing with faith. Question number two, are you so foolish? Yes, everyone do this. Yes, <laughs> they were foolish, we're foolish. He's reiterating a point here that he made in the first verse. He's helping establish a baseline of humility, of brokenness to go, ah, God, I need you, I need you to work. I am so dumb. Question number three. It moves from this rhetorical question, are you so foolish, to having begun by the Spirit, the Spirit was given to us at salvation, are you now being perfected by the flesh? How ludicrous would it be for God to come and send his son to die for my sins, for, to do the work of salvation, and then for, for God to give me the Spirit to begin the work of regeneration and the work of sanctification, and then all of a sudden I go, I got it from here, Jesus. I got it from here. I don't need your help anymore. I'm just going to work. I'm going I'm to fight. I'm going to struggle. I'm going I'm to grip my teeth. I'm going to perfect my own Christian life. No, no. The gospel is for unbelievers, but the gospel is for believers. The gospel is for you and me. The Spirit is given to us to help us perfect our flesh. And there's nothing that you can do Nothing that you can do on your own. The answer is no. No. Question number three. Question number four. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Persecution was happening all over Rome. Would have happened to some of the believers. When you become a believer in Jesus, you do make a sacrifice. When you lay your life down and say, Jesus, this is, this is all yours. You can have my heart. You're making a sacrifice. Another word for for suffer is the word experience. He said, did you experience all of these things, good and bad, the beautiful things? Did you experience all this teaching and, and receive it with blessing? Did you, do, did you receive it all for no purpose? We know the answer. No. No, there's a purpose. Question number five. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing 
with faith. Church, I want to sit on that for a second. Is he who supplies the Spirit to you. The moment that you receive Jesus by faith, he gives you a deposit of the Holy Spirit. You have the Spirit in your life. You have the power of God at your disposal. Everywhere you go, you can tap in to that power. And he says, I've given you the Spirit and I've given you miracles. You have access to the majesty of God. But how often do we just go through life, mill through life, we work, we strive, we go through the motions, we live very mediocre Christian lives. We're rarely tapping in to the Holy Spirit like we could. If you were to examine my prayer life, if I were to come and peel the curtain back and look at your prayer life, would it be spirit-filled? Would you be crying out to God, asking for God to do miracles? The gospel will, would compel you to live a life like that. If we leave today, are we just going to leave ho-hum? Or are we going to leave going, I got the gospel at my disposal and I have the miracles and the, the Spirit of God in my life? Does he who supplies the Spirit and gives you and works miracles in you do so by hearing? By works of the law, the answer is clear. He gives us the Spirit and works miracles by faith. You guys feel beat up? I feel like Paul's like, just like I'm out there boxing, just getting pummeled. Paul doesn't leave us in a place of despair. Jesus never, ever will leave you in a place of despair. Exhortation is needed. We need to be exhorted. We need sometimes to have hard questions asked of us. We need the gospel to pummel us and to bring us low. But then Paul he doesn't leave them there in a place of despair, but he re reiterates the power of God's word. He reiterates the beautiful example of Abraham, and he leaves us with hope and with good news. Jump with me to verse 8, Galatians 3, verse 8. And the scriptures, oh, the scriptures, oh, we love the scriptures. The Bible, the power of God. It's his message, it's his word speaking directly to us. It's inspired and errant. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles. That's you, that's me. It's anyone that's not a Jew. Would justify the Gentiles by faith. He preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Up to verse 6 we've seen. Paul put a, a beautiful defense. He's built a defense based on justification from experience, from history, from reason. And now he's taking it and he's building a defense based on Scripture. He's saying the Scriptures provided some foresight into the gospel. You would say, where exactly in Scripture do we see this foresight? Where, do we, where can we look in the Old Testament to see how God put into motion the gospel for us? Isn't the gospel just something that we get in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke and in John and throughout the New Testament? No. The gospel was in the Old Testament. The gospel was introduced in Genesis 3. Another layer was pulled back in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. It's tied in. It's tethered to this verse. I'm going to read it for you. 
Genesis 12, verse 3 says, I, this is God speaking to Abraham. God says, I will bless those who bless you. And I will dishonor those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. The gospel was given. Seeds were planted in Abraham. And Abraham, by faith, believed in God and was credited to him as righteousness. Now we walk in those similar footsteps. There's nothing that Abraham could have done to earn God's love, God's salvation. Abraham was not a Jew when he surrendered to God. He was a pagan follower. He was just he was a wicked man. All of a sudden, God said, trust me, and I'll provide. And Abraham had faith. Abraham believed the gospel. Do you believe the gospel? Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. The scriptures attest to it. Just as Abraham believed God, it was counted to him as righteousness. Ask the question today, how is a person saved of their sin? How are you saved of your sin? By grace through faith in Jesus. I'm justified by grace through faith in Jesus. How is, how is Abraham saved of his sin? Was it different? No. Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Well, what about the sacrifices? What about, what about the law? What about all this stuff in the Old Testament? All of that was meant to be a roadmap to keep us on the right path and to show us when we get off that we need Jesus. Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, the prophets, you, me, we're all saved the same. By grace, through faith in Jesus. That's how we're justified. So we get to our final point. Before we do, I want to draw your attention to Romans chapter 4. Again, Romans is such a beautiful, Romans 4 is such a beautiful commentary. Verse 1, it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? Did Abraham do anything special? How did he earn salvation? It says, For Abraham was justified. For if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. One of my favorite verses in the Bible comes in the subsequent verses. Verse 20, it says this. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew stronger in his faith as he gave glory to God. He realized that he couldn't give glory to himself for doing anything good because nothing good resided in him. The only good that came to him was from God. So why not just give God the glory for it? Then it says, for Abraham was fully convinced, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Do you believe that? That God is able to do what he's promised? 
He's made promises to you. He's offered blessings to you. He's given the gospel to you. He's died on the cross for you. Do you believe what he's promised? Or are you striving or are you working on your own? Point number five, receive the blessing. Receive the blessing. Verse number nine says, So then, those who are of faith are blessed. They're blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Abraham was blessed. God promised him the blessings in Genesis chapter 12. He said, if you follow me, I will bless you. I'll bless your people. I'll bless the nations because of you. And church, we're here today because Abraham was faithful. Because God was faithful to Abraham. Because God blessed not only Abraham's seed, but blessed the seed of all the nations. Abraham was meant to be a light, a beacon of light of the gospel to all the nations. And likewise, we as the church are meant to be a beacon of light to bless those around us. I want my life to be a blessing. I want my family to be a blessing. I want my church to be a blessing. I want my community to be a blessing. I want my country to be a blessing. A blessing to the world. A blessing to the lost. To the nations who desperately need to know Jesus. And this blessing, church, is not monetary. It's not just blessing saying, God, just give me stuff, give me money, make me feel good, give me health, help my mind. That's not the blessing that Jesus is speaking of, that God is speaking of here. This is the blessing of salvation, the blessing of the good news. Romans chapter 4, last verse. Romans 4 verse 7 says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and forgiven because of Jesus. Blessed are those whose sins are covered my sins are covered because of Jesus. He's removed them. They're as far as the east is from the west because of Jesus. That's a blessing. Starts with Jesus. It comes through Abraham. Blessed are those, the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. That's real blessing. I want to take this blessing out those doors, through that camera, into the streets, into my work, into my school, into my family, all around the world. It's the blessing of the gospel. I promise you, it brings hope, it brings joy, it brings peace. It's the only thing that lasts. Do you know the gospel? Church, as we close today, I have two simple prayers. First prayer. For the believer. God, I'm foolish. I've diminished the gospel. I've let other things speak into the gospel. I've not held the, held the gospel as supremacy in my life. God, I'm a fool. Forgive me for being a fool. Help me to put the gospel on display. Give me greater faith. Sanctify me so that I can be a beacon of light to the world, a blessing to the world. Prayer for the believer. 
Now, there might be someone in here that goes, Grant, I don't know Jesus. All this justification stuff doesn't make sense. All these big words, all this story, all this bouncing around, it's just, pff. your prayer is so simple today. Come to Jesus. Say, Jesus, you can have my heart. I want the gospel in my life. I know there's nothing that I can do to inherit salvation, so give me more of you. Give me Jesus. Jesus, break me of my sin. Be my sacrifice. I trust in the cross of Calvary and I want to spend eternity in heaven. Is that you today? Do you want to place your faith in Jesus? I'll be down front here. Two simple prayers. Jesus, I'm a fool. Help me to hold the gospel up and share the gospel more. And then Jesus, I need you. Come fill my life. Be my salvation. Jesus, I pray today over my family here. God, that you would just move in this church, that you would do mighty things, that you would show yourself to be God, that you would show yourself to be the just and the justifier. God, work. We ask your forgiveness for being fools, for deviating from truth. God, for the lost, for the man or woman in here, the boy or girl that doesn't know you, that's confused. God, I pray that you would forgive, that your arm is long enough to save, that you would reach down, provide healing for our broken hearts, that we would say this simple prayer, Jesus, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ, and I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. God, do great things right now. Speak as we sing. Well, wherever you're coming to us from today, whether it's at home, whether it's traveling, we are so glad that you've joined us today. Some of you, this may be your first time to connect with us and see um, what happens here at First Charlotte. Some of you maybe have been viewing for some time, and some of you may be part of the First Charlotte family. Whoever you are, we're glad that you're here. We'd love to get to know you. And if you'll text the word connect to the number here on the screen, uh, we would love to mail you a gift uh, this week and get to know just a little bit about you. But also, we would love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're wondering what that's all about. Maybe you haven't come to the place in point or you're just unsure. We would love to visit with you about a relationship with Jesus. Would you text the word Jesus to the number here on the screen? One of our pastors would be glad to get that, reach back out to you and talk with you about it, pray with you and walk through that journey of knowing Jesus together with you this morning. Whoever you are, wherever you are, we're glad you worship with us today. I hope before you leave, you'll stick around for just a few more minutes. We've got some important things we want to share with you that God is doing in our church, but also the, the way that he's working and some upcoming things that are coming up here in the life of First Charlotte. We love you. Have an awesome rest of the week, and we will see you back next Sunday.